Mr. Lawrence Cronk, welcome to the Rockman podcast. Hello. How are we doing? Are we all good? Um, I'm good. Oh, yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Yeah, thanks for having me on. No problem. We had to. We had to have you on. The, the maestro, the magician of endurance training. Um, we had to get you on. It's a big claim. <laughs> yeah, no. And I, I see you're, you're chilling in your, your new house because you last year, was it last year you moved to Slovenia? Yeah, we've been here since uh, October last year. So uh, the plan was we'd come and try it for six months. And a year later, we're still here and we've bought a house. So it looks, looks like we're going to gonna try it for a bit longer. You're staying. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, we're staying. So we, um, when we first moved, we moved to a place called Bled, which um, it's got a really pretty lake with like a castle in the middle of it. So if you, if you ever see a photo of Slovenia, there's a good chance that Bled could be it. Um, so we were, we were based there and then kind of decided that, that was a bit touristy and, and a bit busy in the summer. So started looking a bit further afield. And we now live um, basically just at the foot of the Kamnik Alps. So I'm about 500 meters above sea level here. And I'm just like surrounded by peaks that go up to like 2000, 2300 meters. So what uh, is it what is it that attracted you to Slovenia because they have actually got quite a big in sort of endurance and cycling and um scene out there haven't they they have yeah um finally like my wife and I before we'd even been to Slovenia we were telling people that we thought it would be the right place for us to live and then we were like okay maybe we should actually go and see what it's like and uh we came when my wife was actually pregnant with our little one and uh, we were like, oh, wow, actually, yeah, it ticks all the boxes. You know, we've got proper winters. You know, I've like, got three foot of snow outside now. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Um, and then the summer's really, really warm. Like the roads for cycling are really quiet and you've just got like epic, epic climbs. Um, so where I am now, if you go about 20K north, you've got like a beautiful mountain pass that like drops you down into Austria do a loop in Austria, come back over, um, and yeah, loads of hiking, trail running, mountain biking, it's just, it's got it all. So. Yeah, it sounds absolutely yeah. amazing. In fact, my, I think my brother went there in the summer. It, it does look fantastic. I need to get myself out there. Yeah, yeah there's an open invite for you, mate, anytime. Yeah, I know what you're just saying, you're, uh, you, you're, you're creating sort of like a dorm or, or something, right, or, or accommodation for traveling athletes, so. Yeah, that's, that's it. So we've, um, the house that we've got here, um, basically one floor of the house is going to be made into a holiday accommodation so uh yeah we should have space for like maybe eight athletes to come um so the, the idea is so with myself being a coach my wife's also a nutritionist so we're going to like be able to put together some packages where i'll plan um a training weekend or a training week um whether it's just cycling whether it's triathlon trail running um laura will be able to to provide good meals and prepare like nice ride snacks and things like that. So we can just put together a full, full package and uh, take care of everyone while they're here and make sure they have uh, you know, a good, good quality sort of training account. Yeah. It sounds awesome. Well, for, for people that don't know then Mr. Cronk, um, I, d I don't know if I introduced you by your first name, actually everyone guys, listeners, it's Lawrence Cronk, but coach Cronk to every, uh, to everyone. Um, yeah. <laughs> for people that don't know, could you, in one minute or less, tell them who you are and sort of and what you do with your business in Um So, yeah, I'm an endurance coach. So 
work with uh, triathletes, cyclists and runners. Um, so my coaching is done uh, remotely. So um, basically, I use a platform called Training Peaks, where I develop um, bespoke plans for athletes. And then uh, I track their training data. Um, we make contact at least once a week, um, where I give them feedback on their training, ask them questions about um, how it's going. And then we basically keep developing their plan to get an athlete ready for whatever their challenge or their race is. Now, you, you use the word athlete there. Now, this, this, what's the range of athlete? Because I know you have some top, top world-class athletes, but you also coached me during one of my challenges, <laughs> and I am far from a, a top-class athlete. I'm way down at the bottom. So what is the range of people that you deal with? That's a good question, because actually, um, listening to your podcast with, with Reese he said didn't he that he doesn't like to call himself an athlete and i think in anyone's eyes you would think that reese was an athlete um i just think of an athlete as someone who is who wants to get better and is kind of starting to immerse themselves in that that lifestyle of making making training um working towards goals uh, a big part of their life and and kind of progressing if you will yeah, I suppose that's it, isn't it? It's, it's, it's someone who actually just who wants to make specific improvements, leaps and bounds to a goal, a, a certain goal, right? It's, um... Exactly, yeah. If you're, if you're training multiple times a week and you know, you're looking after yourself outside of your training and um, looking at challenges and, and races and things, I think, um, I think you could call yourself an athlete, yeah. And how important is a coach? Sort of what, what sort of um, what value can you get by signing up to a coach or, or getting a coach to help you with your aims? Um, the big one is, is accountability. You know, if, if you've got someone who's there watching over you, checking on those training sessions, um, that, that uh, definitely help, helps a lot. And then you've also got knowledge and the experience of a coach to be able to put put the science together into the plan and then also use their experience to uh, to marry it with the science just to make sure that you're progressing basically it's funny isn't it because like out of everyone who would need a coach you would have thought it's the people with the the least experience and you know that, that need the help but i mean You've got world-class athletes which who should know what they're doing by now. And, and having a coach is one of it's a big part of their training plan and stuff like that. So it literally is for everyone from top to bottom, right? You, you can, you're gonna get a tremendous amount of value from this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, it just takes a lot of a lot of the guesswork out of out of the planning, if, if, out of your training. If you don't really know what you're doing, if you're quite new into the endurance world, you know, you're going to be asking people at your club, you're going to be looking at forums, you're going to be reading articles, and it can all get get pretty overwhelming. And um, you know, lots of plans will, will get results. But it's it's about committing to, to, to the process committing to a plan. And then the good thing about having a coach as well is you've got someone to, to guide you through to, to negotiate uh, the things that life throws at you that that might make you unable to stick to the plan. Yeah, no, I th um, I think that was one of the big positives for me. It's when when you coached my challenge, the the pound for pound fifty mile ultra marathon. Uh, was it last year? Yeah, last October. Um, yeah. It's 
it, it does take that guesswork out of it. And you just sort of, you wake up, you check your calendar and it's like coach Kronk has given me 10 gut busting hill climbs to do over the next two hours. And it's, you just go with the flow. It does make it so much easier. You haven't got to yeah. think about what you've got to do. It's all there for you on your app. Um, yeah, exactly. before, before we get into the coaching, uh, I just want to talk about your sort of um, athletic achievements because you, you performed at quite a high level. I think like Kathy Stringer um, on the previous podcast, you're a, a team GB age group athlete, right? Yeah, yeah. I've been um, to the European Championships and the World Championships for long distance triathlon. What is a long distance triathlon? Um, so it can be an iron distance. So you've got 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike and a marathon run to finish. Um, but also <laughs> the, the world championships. I always thought, <laughs> so, yeah, sorry, it's a long in, I, always, I always thought Ironman was like, it. you know, it's like this big challenge. I didn't realize like, nah, these are just regular races that the triathletes do. Yeah, it's a, basically, yeah, Iron, Ironman is just a branded long-distance triathlon. Um, but actually, some of the world championships, uh, like the ITU, um, it's not quite full iron distance. So it's kind of like somewhere in between um, half Ironman and Ironman. Just depends on, on the course. If you do an Ironman branded event, they'll always be the same distance. But mm -hmm. other long-distance triathlons might vary a little bit. What, and these were your bread and butter. This is what you were doing uh, week in, week out, Iron Ironman distances. Well, no, I'm not. Um, I, I kind of commit to like one big race a year. So for seven seasons, I think, like I would do uh, a long distance or, or an Ironman uh, triathlon as like my main race. And then I'd probably do one or two half Ironman middle distance races, um, and maybe some bike racing and some running events kind of in the lead up to uh, to that one event and how does it start well how did you get into these sort of races what was the beginning oh um it started with it actually started with um a circuits class back in my home hometown of, of monmouth yeah oh um, i thought you were going to say kogan leisure center then. <laughs> no, you were a coach down there weren't you yeah yeah i did yeah. work in the gym there yeah this was um, a leisure center that I, I used to frequent uh, back in yes. the day when I was like 16 to 20 or something like that. Yeah, yeah no, and you're often in the gym. Um, yeah, so this circuits class in Monmouth, like the core kind of group of the people that went, they actually formed like a little running club. And um, I started entering a few events that they did and they were mostly like um, low key sort of like 10K forest runs and trail runs and stuff. Um, so I started doing a bit of that and then I actually got this quite an interesting story. I got a, a random uh, summer job where um, I saw an advert where these two 15 year old lads, they were going to skateboard Land's End to John O'Groats. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it was, so they, they needed, basically their, their parents wanted to pay someone who could ride a bike safely to stick with them on the roads, navigate a bit and just make it look a bit more official. So the kids weren't going to get run over. Um, so yeah, I got, got the job uh, riding with them for a month. And uh, after about, uh, after about a week or so, I was like, okay, if these kids, they're only 15 and they're like skateboarding like 40 miles a day or whatever they were doing. I, I need to do something. So um, I was like, I am that. I, you know, I've got, I've, I'm basically doing a month of cycling now. I've already got a bit of running background. 
like Iron Man, let's do it. So even on that trip, I started um, getting up earlier than the lads. And if we were staying in a town, I would go and swim and then come back and then do the day cycling with them. And then, yeah, I got back home. That was it. I got an Ironman training plan. Did, did my first Ironman, Ironman Wales. Um, and then, yeah, just uh, that was it. I, I remember the first, the first time I ran off the bike, I literally laughed out loud and I said to myself, it's not going to stop at one Ironman. <laughs> I just like, <laughs> just this, I thought it was so nuts to be running after cycling. And it just felt weird and very right at the same time. I was just like, there'll definitely be more than one. Yeah. And how did you do on your first one? Um, I am on Wales. Um, I did 11 and a half hours. On your first one? First one, yeah. That's like, like a, re- back that's a 20, good time, right? 2013. Um, yeah. Top okay. 50% definitely. Yeah, I think so. Top 30%? I don't know, maybe, I'm not sure, maybe in the top 200? That's not bad at all. Like that, so. And then, and then um, how did this build then? How did this love of uh, triathlons and Ironman build to eventually starting Enduro Prep? Um, so I was working in, in the fitness industry. So I started basically as, as a PT. Um, I had a really good um, mentor kind of in my early years of PT. And, and he basically said, you know, you, you need to get into coaching. Don't, don't, don't be a PT, get into coaching. And he said, um, get a what bike and start learn everything about what bikes and how they work and start coaching on, on a what bike. And this was when um, what bikes were really new. There was only a small handful of them in Wales. So I got a what bike and started doing um, some fitness testing on it um, getting people in to take them through, through proper tests so they could calibrate proper training zones um, and also doing a bit of pedal, pedaling efficiency analysis stuff. And then I started People would say, oh, I know I've got these zones, I've done the test, like, can you help me with a plan to go with it? And then I started developing plans to go with the testing and say, right, you've done this test, you're gonna come back in eight weeks or 12 weeks, do another test, I'll design more plan. And I basically, yeah, kind of grew my grew my client base um, through doing that. And then eventually managed to go um, into coaching full-time. And, and have you got any big names on your, uh... On your register that you could drop and or is it all, all, all client all, confidentiality no every, everyone's um i don't co- coach any professional <laughs> athletes or all amateurs all just just you know busy people who you know want to achieve want to achieve things and, and need some guidance so i've got you know got some faster people who um you know maybe want to push to qualify for the ironman world championships and um the other end of the spectrum people who you know are new into triathlon maybe have you know aspiring to do an Ironman one day or maybe you just want to get faster at that shorter distances so well yeah so let's talk about Endura Prep so what if I'm an athlete and I'm coming to you Endura Prep what are you testing for um and, and then you're, you're talking about your plans and your t- the tests well what specifically are you testing for because I know I came in and I, I had the pleasure of going through those tests um Talk to me about that. What, what are they testing for? What are they finding out? And then what are you able to do from them, from that? Okay. So, so yeah, the what bike testing, that's, that's kind of uh, developed quite a bit over the years. So we've now got um, VO2 max testing equipment. So based out of our tri-zone, 
um, just outside Cardiff. We've got our little kind of lab set up there. So you can come to us for a bike test or a run test. Um, and we can do your VO2 max testing there. So it's basically a ramp test that gets, gets harder every minute um, whilst you're hooked up with a heart rate monitor and uh, a mask on so we can monitor um, the gases that you're breathing. Uh, so we'll give you your VO2 max, um, which is basically like this, the size of your engine is the simplest way of, of describing it. Um, and then throughout the test, we'll also get some other points triggered. So we'll get your aerobic threshold and your anaerobic threshold. And we'll be able to, to split uh, the results into four unique heart rate training zones. Um, and also from the shape of the ventilation graph that we get from the test, we will be able to say, okay, so these are your heart rate training zones. So these boundaries are where you need to stay on your in endurance sessions, on your long runs, on your long rides. When you're doing these types of intervals, you need to be pushing to get your heart rate within this boundary. If you're doing these types of intervals, then you should be shooting for within this boundary. We can also say then from the <coughs> ventilation curve that, okay, we think that you're strong in this area, maybe you're weak in this area, so you need to go away and focus more time on training here less time training here um, so we can yeah we can kind of help you uh, apply these kind of lab results into into the real world into your training i suppose that's it it's, it takes out a lot of the guesswork right it, this is specific scientific to you um you can really start tweaking and adjusting the dials to improve your fitness yeah exactly i mean so the ways that most people would get their training zones is they would either do Kind of old school calculation 220 minus your age and then you would split uh, user theory to split that into uh, into your training zones now we've done around 300 tests and i reckon maybe maybe 20 test results have come close to showing 220 minus your age as being accurate really so you can discount that straight away um, as being a good way to go about things and then um, the other way would be to do a field test. Um, so you do your field test, you get uh, an estimate of your threshold heart rate, your threshold pace, threshold power. And then you would split that using whichever theory you decide to follow, you would split that into zones. But the problem with that is you, you're splitting that into, into these zones that the theory says. But what our testing is showing is actually not everybody's Kind of for example your aerobic zone a theory might say that your aerobic zone is like 65 to 70 percent of your threshold but our testing is showing that for some athletes it's lower for some it's higher so um yes yeah, suppose yeah get, you get really unique with it it's not like um uniformly split into these lovely neat zones like like the table would suggest it's everyone's different and they're going to have specific zones to them and that's what your test can find out um i'm going to take it right back to basics now coach Kronk. for anyone who's just gone on earth has he just been talking <laughs> yeah about? yeah of course sorry let's let's start at at the bottom max vo2 what, what what's a max vo2 what is vo2 what does that stand for because I, I know it's uh, obviously you explained it to me um before and it's obviously to do with your fuel systems right within your body uh, operating at different intensities so let's start 
from the top <laughs> and explain it like this is this is uh this is heart rate training for dummies now so uh, okay go so what is vo2 max okay vo2 max is the maximum volume of oxygen that you can take in and utilize during exercise so a simple look at the mechanics you you breathe in air into your lungs your lungs extract oxygen from the air Oxygenated blood goes to the heart and then it gets pumped around the body to the working muscles, to your organs and to your brain. Now, as you increase your exercise intensity, you increase your breathing rate because you're trying to bring in more oxygen to meet the demands of that intensity. If you keep increasing the intensity, you'll eventually reach the point where you are trying to, you're, you're breathing in more air, but you're unable to extract any more oxygen from the air. And that is what we call your VO2 max. VO2 max is, is typically expressed <clears throat> as uh, milliliters per kilogram of body weight per minute. Um, to give you an example, in uh, male athletes, elite males, you'll typically see a VO2 max of uh, anywhere from in the 70s right up into the mid 90s. So VO2 max is a, is a, it shows your aerobic capacity or the, the size of your engine. Um, so it's a good performance indicator. Um, but what we also like to look at is your anaerobic threshold. So um, if we look at uh, increasing exercise intensity, um, at low intensities, you're, you're very aerobic. So you're using mostly oxygen and your body fat, to keep it simple, to fuel that effort. Now, as exercise intensity increases, you start to need a quicker fuel source which uh, to meet the demands of that intensity, which comes from muscle glycogen, sugar. Um, as exercise intensity increases, you rely more heavily on that anaerobic contribution um, until you reach the point where you make a switch to then needing to use mostly that anaerobic contribution, which is what we call your anaerobic threshold. Now, anaerobic threshold is, is typically the intensity that you can hold for 45 to 60 minutes. So if we have a look at, at, at them both, um, what you might find is actually an athlete who has a high VO2 max, but has a low anaerobic threshold, might not perform as well uh, in, in an endurance event as an athlete who has a low VO2 max but a high anaerobic threshold. Um, and, and this is what we can pinpoint with our testing. So we can see how far apart these two are and that can help us um, decide on what is the best training for that person to do. Should they look at growing their VO2 max, growing that capacity, pushing up that ceiling um, and then they can push up their anaerobic threshold after that, or is their VO2 max already really good, but their anaerobic threshold might be low. So we can say, okay, VO2 max is good, but let's not train that. Let's look at pushing up that anaerobic threshold. So, okay. so we talk about the, the anaerobics and the aerobics um, types of fitness. So what, what is anaerobic fitness and what is aerobic fitness and how do they differ in fuel usage so simply aerobic is is with oxygen and anaerobic is without oxygen so you start at a low intensity 
and you'll be very aerobic. So you'll be using oxygen, mostly oxygen and fat to fuel your effort. And then as the effort increases, it's like a sliding scale. So as the effort increases, you get more anaerobic contribution. So you're using sugars to fuel your effort. And that goes right up from very easy, right up to 100% anaerobic, which is a very, very hard effort, which you could maybe hold for two minutes. Yeah. And, and so, so the thresholds that you're identifying, these are the points at which you sw you're switching those fuel sources, right? Exactly. Yeah. So um, once you cross your anaerobic threshold, um, it's, it's when you cross a point where you go from using mostly uh, oxygen and fat to fuel your effort to using mostly sugars to fuel your effort. So you still there's still contributing contributions from both energy systems, but you're making that switch now to using um, mostly sugars to fuel your effort. And, and then this is where the, the heart rate zones come in, right? So you, you then identify these, these zones to target your, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to pretend I know what I'm on about. They, they target that threshold, right? And when you're working on the thresholds, you actually, you're pushing them up. You're improving those thresholds. Is that right to say? Yeah, that's, that's a good way to do it. Um, so if you were going to work around your aerobic threshold, that's, that's quite a low intensity. So that could be used for your kind of base building for your easy aerobic sessions. Um, and then that basically improves your ability to use fat as a fuel and it will, it will, it will grow the power or the pace um, that you can sustain at, at that aerobic effort. So your aerobic heart, if your aerobic threshold heart rate was 130, for example, and you did lots and lots of running at that heart rate of 130, over time, you should see yourself get faster at that heart rate of 130. Um, so yeah, and then at the other end, you've got your anaerobic threshold. So this is kind of a simple way to look at it. It's kind of like your red line. So when you, when you work at your anaerobic threshold, you start to get that accumulation of, um, of hydrogen in the muscles, that burning feeling that, or you might call it lactic acid. Um, uh, and yeah, that's, that's essentially. And I remember, I remember when we were uh, at the lab, you were saying to improve your fitness, endurance and speed and power, it's important to, well, no, it's, to improve your fitness, it's important to actually target each of these zones rather than working on just one zone, right? I want to get faster. You can, it's actually important to get say um, your anaerobic training in as well to build that base. So it's sort of like, if you want to shift your whole fitness up, you need to be targeting each of these zones uh, at similar rates, right? Yeah. Well, it depends really on what, on what your goal is, but if you're quite new into the endurance world, your body's kind of like a sponge. So like you can just do stuff. You can do lots of training and it, there's a saying, um, a rising tide lifts all ships where you're kind of just see an improvement all around. And then uh, that'll get you so far. And then you're going to reach, reach a point where, okay, I need to now start getting more specific with my training to, to, to take myself to the next level, to start getting more adaptations that I want. So then you need to start, targeting the specific zones so you might you know you'll need to do your base training 
um, which will be working on that aerobic threshold, that low intensity, long duration type stuff. But at the other end of the scale, you can still put your VO2 max work in there as well in that base phase, so you, which is also going to help grow your engine. So that's quite a good way to do your kind of uh, winter block, if you like, your winter training before going into a season, because um, it's kind of less specific. So if we're talking about kind of middle distance and long distance triathlon, um, for example, here, it's kind of less specific than um, the racing that they're going to do. So you do that sort of training first. And then as you go into the season, you start getting more specific to the intensity that they're going to do in that race, which is going to be more stuff around that tempo and that sort of threshold area. So you do your base training with your low intensity with some VO2 max work in there. And then you can start, once you've got that good base, you can start working on your threshold as well. So if you think of it as like um, levels, you kind of grow, grow the size of your engine. So you lift that ceiling with your base training and your VO2 max work, and then your threshold sits underneath that. And then you can start doing your threshold work and, and pushing that up as well. Yeah. I know we we did some met metabolic testing as well when I was there. So that that's is that different again, or is that something they somehow run alongside? What what is metabolic testing, and how does it relate to then the heart rate training? So the the resting metabolic rate test is the, the easiest test you will ever do. You just sit there. <laughs> I was good at that one. I was one of the best, wasn't I? I was on the lead. You're, you're excellent. Yeah. excellent. <laughs> so yeah, you just have to um, sit still for about a quarter of an hour. You have a mouthpiece uh, and a nose clip. You just breathe in, uh, breathe into our machine, and it will give you your resting metabolic rate, which is basically the calories you need to sustain yourself if you were to lie on the couch and do nothing all day. And then um, the software, based on some questions that we ask you about your lifestyle, your activity levels, that sort of thing, will um, be able to sort of calculate uh, your daily calorie needs as well. Um, so we can kind of, with the resting metabolic rate test, we can get your calorie requirements for, say, a normal day without training. But what our VO2 max test will also do is give you your calorie burn at different heart rates. So um, we can say, right, if you went out and did this run for an hour at 130 beats per minute, we can see that you're burning 600 calories an hour. So you can now say, right, well, these are my normal daily calorie requirements plus this 600 calories for that hour of run I did. So you've got a full picture with both tests, you've got a full picture there of your calorie needs. So um, if you're looking to maintain, lose weight or gain weight, you can, um, make some calculations with those test results to kind of guide those those diet decisions and it's yeah it's specific for you the one of the um the the things i found most interesting about the report you gave me is that there it also plotted it showed you showed me on a graph where i sat for the speed of my metabolism metabolism is that is that correct so yes, whether it's yeah. fast or slow now as a bigger guy that i've always been i've always assumed right I've, i must have a low metabolism that's uh that's why i'm car carrying a bit of extra timber considering all the training i do um very disheartened to to learn i actually had a very slight fast metabolism so <laughs> it is just me eat overeating um but that was really interesting i mean do, do you ever have anyone that are, are are at 
the extremes that they're either got really slow or really fast metabolisms and how and how does that then affect the training and what you or, or the calorie intake that you uh, recommend um it, it depends on what their goals are um if you've got somebody who's looking to lose a lot of weight and then they've um, got a particularly slow metabolism tend to then start ask, asking them questions about their diet um, you, you'll tend to find that they skip meals um, particularly skipping breakfast is, is a big one um, and they might be sedentary as well so kind of kind of dig into those things and, and try and absorb as much information from them as you can and then kind of try and try and make some suggestions whether they actually need to see a nutritionist or whether you know we can just give them some tips to to help them kind of maybe eat start eating a bit more regularly give them some tips on the right things they can eat um maybe suggest that they could start doing a bit more exercise and things like that to start to, to speed up their metabolism as well yeah um and at uh, the other end of the spectrum then you've got the guys with the super high metabolism um again you should start asking them some questions about their lifestyle what what their goals are um you might they might be trying to pursue some goals in sport and you might be able to say well actually you're massively under eating look at actually what you need um, plus the training that you're doing you know you you're falling you know 500 calories plus a day short of really what you need um you need to find a way to to get those calories in i want to talk about a bit of training now let's get into some specifics with the trainers so we've done our testing we've covered all what we're what we're looking at and stuff so <clears throat> pardon me if someone we've done the test we found out what they are and someone's training for, for example, a half marathon or or a marathon. How are you then structuring the plan uh, for someone with, I guess it's going to be off heart rates, right? It's going to be off the zones that you've identified. And what does that training plan look like? And what does the training look like then? What does a half marathon plan look like? Okay. Um, God, it's a, that's a, a tricky question. We'll have to try and just keep it really, really simple. Um, we've got two types of run. So you've got uh, your continuous steady state uh, aerobic endurance run. Now that's there essentially to make sure that you can cover the distance. Then your other run, your, your interval run, your higher intensity run, uh, now that would be there to make you faster at covering that distance so if we were to say um, most people could run three times a week um, that one of those runs we would definitely want to be that aerobic endurance run so that steady state uh, medium kind of effort zone two run that uh, you gradually build in duration uh, over the weeks towards towards your event um, then your You've got two types of intervals as well. So we could say, to keep it simple, short intervals and long intervals. So if we look at short intervals, then we might be looking at something like kind of VO2 max intensity. So anywhere from like 30 seconds to maybe three or four minutes uh, in, in intensity. Now you can do these on a hill, you could do them on a flat, you, on the flat, you could do a, a bit of both. If, you, if you're doing them on a hill, then you could be 
looking to, to build power as well. If you're doing them on the flat, then you're really looking to build speed. Um, you might want to look at the course that your event is on to decide how much work am I going to do on the hill, how much work am I going to do on the flat, or if you've got quite a long build up to your event, um, say, you know, 12 weeks or more, then you might be able to do both. You might be able to do a block of hill, hill repeats at the start of your training to, to build that power, and then you can transfer to doing those on the flat to then um, start looking at your speed. So there, those are your short intervals. Then long intervals, uh, you're looking at intervals at around that kind of tempo or threshold intensity. So we're looking at intervals that are now kind of maybe five minutes, 10 minutes, 15, maybe 20 minutes uh, in duration. Um, or you could do a, a tempo run, which is another continuous effort, um, but it's, it's at a much more purposeful intensity than kind of your long steady state endurance run. Um, for a lot of people, actually, tempo will be around the sort of intensity that you'll be looking to run your half marathon effort at as well. So if you were to run three times a week, then you've, I think that would be a good way to, to break up your training, would be short intervals, longer intervals, so maybe VO2 max, uh, and then threshold work, and then your steady state longer run. Um, if you can run more, um, then I would probably just back that up with uh, more aerobic training, so more of that kind of similar intensity to your longer um, steady state endurance run uh, and you would always want to keep uh, at least a day between those high intensity runs uh, and try and do the hardest most high, the high, most high intensity run on the day that you feel the most fresh so typically you take a rest day after your long run uh, and then maybe you would do your, your short intervals day uh, and then have an easy day or a rest day and then do your longer intervals uh, so you're spacing out those high intensity days so you get good recovery between them. Uh, I think that that's it in a nutshell. I mean, like I said, it, it depends on, on, on so many things. Uh, if, if, if you're really new to running and uh, you just want to complete your half marathon, then, and then initially you just need to get out and just do some easy running and just get a, get a feel for the sort of paces that you can sustain. Uh, and, and just get get some some basic miles in the legs, build that endurance a little bit, and then the next step would be to maybe look to start changing the pace on one of those runs. Maybe include a hilly run, and then you go out and you you push the effort a bit more on those hills, um, and then. Once you've kind of done that and you've got a bit of a feel for mixing up the pace, running up hills and you're a bit more confident, then might be the time then to start adding more structure and actually looking at specific intervals on specific days. It's I, funny actually you spoke about rest then because I, I haven't got that question on my chart, but um, I think that'd be a really, that's a really good um, point is rest, obviously. And how important is rest to this um, endurance training? Because I know with say like with strength training, you can, you need maybe 24 hours or something like that before you need to go again. But when you're, when, when you're pushing the heart, obviously, because you're focused on the heart, say with the intervals where you're getting your max heart, you're trying to hit your max heart rate on, on your, your short intervals, maybe how much rest does the heart need and how much rest do the legs need on the, then the long two hour, three hour runs? 
Um, and everyone's different, obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah, everyone's different. I think, you know, everyone should have at least one rest day um, in their training week. But um, I like to talk about like this wave of intensities. So you, you've got to follow up a really hard day with an easy day or a rest day. So you, and if the, the more training that you do, I think the easier those easy days need to be um, so that you can, you really freshen up enough to be able to hit those interval sessions uh, properly and hit those targets. The, the danger is if you don't take those easy days easy enough, you can't go hard enough on the hard days and then all of your training just gels into this middle ground. Um, and that's when you start to go stale. You, you, you're not improving. You start to lose motivation. You get ill, you get injured, setbacks, etc. So yeah, rest is, is, uh, is really important. Um, and if you're, if you're quite new to the sport as well, I think, you know, especially running is an impact sport. I think the days in between runs, you should do something rest or do something non-impact. Yeah. Cycling, cycling or swimming or something. Um, what was the bit you just said then? I had a question off the back of that. It's gone. It's gone out of my head. It'll probably come back to me then and I'll ask you. But it's, so- it's interesting what you said about, <laughs> you made the comparison with, with weight training there and, if you look at bodybuilders, they know the value of rest, don't they? They, mm-hmm. they do like hard, hard sessions in the gym and they know, right, there's no way I can do that again tomorrow. My body needs X amount of days until I can work that body part again. And they've got really good understanding of it. But in endurance athletes, they, they don't quite um, make it as simple in their minds, I don't think, as that. <laughs> well, it, I've just remembered what, uh, what I was going to ask you. Well, it was actually what I was going to say is that I really relate to what you're saying then about this. Um, if you don't take your easy days easy, you end up sort of ruining the effort that you can apply on your hard days and you, you uh, gel into this middle ground, I think is what you said. I can really relate to that. I mean, that whenever I'm doing a training plan or something, I'm so eager to maybe achieve the goal that you I'm pushing for that rather than wait the time and you know incremental improvements over a long period of time to eventually get the goal right at the end you're so eager that I, I fall into that trap all the time and then the, the, the intervals suck because they're really I'm finding them really hard I'm exhausted yeah. um and I think that's it because with um running and endurance is it's so much more taxing on your sort of cardiovascular system than say weight training which i suppose is sort of short very very short intervals of pushing and mm. pulling and it's more muscular i don't know i'm <laughs> you're, you're you're the expert but this is how i perceive it it's you you need to value rest probably more than maybe a bodybuilder because you're you're working this your your heart your must that that muscle um day in day out i guess yeah you're right i, I think the danger is is with the easy days they're not they shouldn't be a satisfying intensity they should be so easy that you're just like oh, this is boring i don't even want to do this but <laughs> is that what it should be yeah people get into that kind of just pushing enough for that session to feel satisfying or, or you know maybe even you know social pressure of oh, God, i can't i can't put this on strava this is this is like ridiculous pace yeah but um 
and, and you just get drawn into, you know, oh, just gonna, I'll just push a little bit harder, you know, oh, I'm feeling good today, when you need to bottle that up and be like, no, I need to feel great tomorrow. I feel good today, but I need to feel great tomorrow for that hard session. Yeah, I, I remember when, when doing, obviously, the, the plan you gave me, um, there were these long, easy runs, and it, you do get that feeling, you're like, this is too slow. It, surely it shouldn't be this slow. Um, it's so comfortable and you're quite right. Like you're like, this is boring. I can't do this for two hours. Um, yeah. And you do fall into the trap. You do push it a little bit. And um, <clears throat> it's interesting hearing you say that now, because uh, if I did a plan again tomorrow, I'm, I'm listening to you this time around. <laughs> I, I would, I would, I would do it that slow. Yeah. I so, think it was only today I was uh, messaging an athlete because kind of at the early stages of the, their progression for um, the long build up to Ironman and, and they're already kind of pushing the pace a little bit on on a couple of their runs and you just have to say well soon we're going to be doing these runs for 30k or 35k and you just have to like think okay yeah actually that intensity is not gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna be able to hold that for 30k or 35k so no you'll be wiped out <laughs> so uh, we, we have a lot of endurance runners as well at Rockman and um, maybe a lot that would like to do an ultra marathon. I was wondering how does how does then the training differ, say from a half marathon marathon to an ultra marathon? Per, like personally, from my perspective, is that I, I did a, a marathon distance I think last year, and God, that sucked because it's it's almost like you're holding a pace for four hours. Well, that's exactly what you're doing. Four or five hours, you're holding a pace. You're trying to achieve a good time. And it is, I, I've got a newfound respect for marathon runners. I always thought, oh, it's easy. It's just double half. Like half's are easy enough. I've trained for them. It's just double half. Oh, it's, it's not at all. It's a different kettle of fish. But then an ultra marathon is different again because I was no longer going for a time. So I was no longer pushing the pace. And it was about maintaining the heart rate within the comfortable zone. That's how I did it. That's how I did it anyway. Okay. So I almost found it, dare I say it, easier than the marathon distance mm -hmm. doing like a 30 35 miler because of the it was obviously working in a different zone is what i've said bollocks <laughs> <laughs> or is it correct and and you know how if it is how, how does the training differ then the, the training differs in because you you can't go out and just do an ultra marathon in training like you need to it, if you do try and run those super super long distances in training then the recovery needed is so long that you can't train consistently mm. so you need to what i like to do is make like the weekend or make friday saturday sunday into like an endurance block so you can build your time on feet but still get that recovery between so you over the over those three days you get loads of volume in but you've broken it up um, because if you just went out, right, oh, I need to run an ultra marathon. So every weekend I'm going to do a 20 mile run, unless you're a really experienced ultra runner, um, you, you, you're risking getting injured and, and setbacks and not being able to train consistently. So yeah, you need to, you need to get that volume in. Um, but if you're doing, if you're doing an ultra as well, if you're doing, you know, if you're doing a hilly course, for example, you know that there's going to be lots of walking in there. So you can, you can build that, build that into your training and say, right, I'm going to do uh, first session on a weekend is going to be a long run. 
and then I'm going to go home, I'm going to have some food, recover a little bit, and then I'm going to go out for a hike in the afternoon. And then Sunday morning, I'm going to do another run. So you can, you can build your endurance, build your time on feet, you can practice your pacing, you can work on the kit that you're going to carry, work on the fueling strategy on the go, all that sort of thing. You can build into, um, into your training and kind of build the distances up safely. Whereas, um, yeah, a marathon, if, if, you, if you're fit to run a marathon, then you know, you know it's going to hurt because you're going to be pushing the pace for, for that duration. Whereas an ultra, I guess you can, you can break it up a bit more, can't you? You know, right, I'm this, I've got this climb, I know I'm going to be walking, uh, you've got this descent, etc. So you can kind of break the course up a bit more. Yeah, it's funny in the ultras. When you see a hill, you're like, yes, <laughs> I get to walk for five minutes. Fantastic. Yeah. You look weird. around, everyone else is walking. So it's like, oh, yeah. Oh, you're welcome. Acceptable. Welcome. Now, I want to talk about 100 milers. Have you okay. coached people for them? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And is, it just, is it just the same as, say, an ultra, but obviously the distances, is it just the distances that differ? And you're building up more miles uh, on those blocks, I guess. Yes, yeah. It's it's once once you get over sort of like 40, 50 miles, um, the training doesn't differ that much. Um, you you just want to do you're going to do more low intensity aerobic training, building that that time on feet. Um, so it doesn't differ. It doesn't differ that much. But you know, if you're doing a hundred miler, you, you've got to have a think about um, the time of day that you're going to be doing it as well, going through the night and things. So you've got a, a little bit more logistics uh, to kind of consider um, in your planning for the day. But yeah, the, the training doesn't, doesn't differ that much. Uh, also depends on how fast you want to go. If you, if, you, if you just want to complete it or if you want to be competitive like if you just want to complete it you know you're going to be doing a, a lot more walking so maybe that's something that you want to be doing in your training if you're looking to run most of it then yeah you need to be be doing more more running in your training yeah i mean obviously you would never run 100 miles in training right what no. sort of distance what sort would what would be the longest distance you'd ever get to up in training i suppose it depends again as you say on the individual and the amount of time they've got but what what, what what would be the average? I'd say I'd try and get somebody up to something like maybe like a hard sort of um, harder run on a Friday. So maybe like maybe 90 minutes, but with some intensity in there, maybe like a negative split run, something like that um, with, with a run with a hard finish. Then on the Saturday, Saturdays and Sundays, you make that your big endurance block. So maybe you could do, four or five hours run um, and then have your lunch, have a shower, whatever, get your, get your hiking stuff on um, and then get out for another like three or four hour hike in the afternoon. And then maybe on the Sunday, then you could maybe do the same again, maybe make the run shorter and the hike longer. So just like a two hour run and then a really long hike, uh, a big long hilly hike uh, the second day. It does sound like a lot to do with that. Just time on feet, then just getting getting your bones and your feet used to being on, yeah. on, on your feet for that amount of time. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. It's that that time on feet. <coughs> um, just practicing, practicing with your kit, practicing 
on um, the, the closer you get to the to the race, the, the kind of more similar to the terrain you're going to race on. You want to try and make those big runs and those big hiking days, so you, you can just get everything dialed in. What you're going to carry, what you're going to wear, um, just get used to uh, to work into your nutrition strategy, knowing you know what's going to be at the feed stations. Does what they've got at the feed stations work for me? Have I practiced with it, or do I need to be fully self-sufficient or relying more on my crew to have the things that I know work for me, you know, planning how many calories you need and, and what you can carry as to what you can pick up um, what you need to drink as well. Um, mm. Yeah. Just, just kind of just using every single long weekend training block as like a rehearsal to just tweak something, dial it in, tweak it, dial it in. So when you get to that race day, you're fully prepared. Yeah. I suppose that's for any distance really, is it? Yeah. 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 Definitely. Just get, get, get more specific, get more specific, the closer you get to the event so that, um, you know, the, the, the old saying, uh, don't try anything new on race day. No, Jesus. Yeah. I, I, you can end up with uh, bleeding nipples or something like that. You know, <laughs> you try a new top or something like yeah. that on race day. Speaking yeah. for experience. Uh, uh, no, 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 not me, not me. <laughs> yeah, it probably is. <laughs> Pardon me. I have got a bit of a cough. I've just got over an illness last week. So please excuse uh, the coughing, guys. Um, strength training. Yes. How important is that for for the running and the endurance and stuff like that? Oh, it's very, I think. Um, but my kind of view on it is like it's uh, there's no need to get too specific with strength training. I like to think I like to kind of look at strength training from the view of you want to make yourself a well-rounded, strong human, you know, be able to move and, um, you know, be able to have good mobility and be able to do good quality um, moves. Probably, you know, the, the Olympic lifts for, is a good example. So you know, be able to squat properly with a good range of motion, um, you know, deadlift as well. Um, and, kind of make yourself a nice well-rounded human and then that gives you a good frame to be able to hang your endurance training on i think some people get a bit too specific with the movements that they're trying to do and try to mimic you know swimming cycling and running through the stuff they do in the gym when actually they can't they haven't got good mobility to do some of these basic movements properly in the first place it's that kind of building your castle on sand um i think it strength training is really important but just just keep it simple um you know, endurance athletes are already busy doing swimming cycling and running you know, haven't got time to be spending hours in the gym you know, but if you can get particularly in the winter get in the gym twice a week maybe have a good session that's like 30 to 40 minutes get it get in there do some of the big olympic moves job done and then once once you can kind of get to a good strength um you could drop that down to like one sort of maintaining session a week through your season and just back that up with with some core work so yeah it's important i think you need to to get um the other mistake people make is think right i'm an, I'm an endurance athlete so i need to be kind of doing lightweight and lots of reps in the gym but um that's not the case either you, def, you need to be focusing on, on making yourself strong in the gym so lifting heavy um you know sort of sets of like 
three to eight repetitions with heavy weight. Get yourself nice and strong. Um, get that good frame so that you're more robust and, and less likely to get injured. If, if you're more robust and less likely to get injured, you can train more consistently. Therefore, you know, your, your endurance training will, be, will benefit from it. Okay. We've got, um, <coughs> me, we've got a few questions from uh, some of the Rockman members for you. Um, I actually popped a little post in the group today saying we're talking to Coach Cronk. Have you got any questions? And I found this gorgeous photo of you on your Facebook, uh, Mr. Cronk, <laughs> holding two kettlebells topless in your garden. Do you, do you know that one? <laughs> Where did you dig that up from? Oh, I, I was trying to find one on your Enduro Prep page. And it's all, okay. it's all your athletes. Like, there's none of you. You need more of you on there. Get more of you in your, in your, in your cap and stuff. Um, <laughs> but I found this one right at the bottom. It was, honestly, it must be from, like, years ago. Uh, but looking ripped, I might say. Looking ripped. I'll send it to you afterwards so you can see which <laughs> one it is. But, uh, obviously, that photo then attracted a few questions. Right um don't worry they're not dodgy <laughs> they're not dodgy <laughs> questions but um richard greenhow he is he asks a few questions about fueling for races yeah um so he asks how do you fuel pre-race i'm guessing this may, this could be sort of like the night before or the morning before and then mm -hmm. how are you fueling during the race and that actually might relate back to some of the metabolic testing that you were talking about then i guess because mm -hmm. um you were saying you can I, you can I actually identify the specific calories you're burning at specific intensities uh how would that and then how would that tie into your fueling so if we go for pre-race first pre-race okay so we start from the night before and this is actually a little exercise i like to do with my athletes so about um four or five weeks before a big race I will get them to write down for me what they plan to eat from the day before the race uh, through the morning and then right through the race. And then we'll kind of tweak their plan and then get them to practice that in their long sessions so that we can just make sure that um, what they've got in their plan works for them. But I think first rule is like, don't try anything new. <laughs> stick, to, stick to foods you know. Um, don't don't overeat as well because um, generally in that week leading up to your race you're going to be doing less training anyway so if you kind of eat a similar amount to what you've been eating during training then you're naturally going to um, going to carb loads going to fill your muscles with glycogen if you could even eat a little bit less if, if you've gone from a really heavy training load down to, to very little in that taper week um, if you're prone to like gi issues during events then you should probably look to cut out some fiber uh, and what's a gi um, is that what, what does, G, does um, GI? gastrointestinal distress so if you if you have stomach issues um during races um, then yeah cutting out fiber in the kind of couple of days before can help so keep keeping your meals quite simple so like just white rice white, white pasta white bread no kind of super rich foods with lots of sauces on and things um that can also help um so yeah keeping it simple and then morning of the race um you want to try and get something in you know at least two hours before you start uh, again stick to what you know if if you like you know, porridge or if you like bagels and banana and peanut butter or um 
crumpets, whatever, but like simple, simple carby stuff. Um, about, yeah, if you can get that in sort of two hours before, then just kind of keep hydrating a little bit uh, before your race starts. And then once your race starts, don't wait till you're hungry. <laughs> is, um, is, that's the first thing. But you want to start, start eating early um, and then little and often is the best way. So if you know, say if you, if from your testing, you know that you need um, 300 calories an hour. And actually, like, testing aside, a good way to look at this is you want to be trying to consume between 30 and 50% of what you're going to burn during the race. Okay. So if you know that in an hour of your steady running, you're burning 600 calories an hour, then you, you, you know, 250 to 300 would be a good amount of calories to strive for. And again, that sounds like quite a lot. I know people are probably be thinking, wow, 300 calories an hour whilst I'm running. That's like, that's quite a lot. And it, it's something you need to, you need to train for. So you need to plan ahead um, and start practicing this in your training. You can't expect if you've gone out and never really fueled your runs very well. Um, and then on race day, you try and consume 300 calories an hour on a day when you're already nervous and hyped up and maybe working a bit harder than you plan to, because you got excited in the race, then, um, yeah, it's not, <laughs> it might not end well. So, yeah, so you little and often is the best way. So every 20 to 30 minutes, having a bite of something, have, making sure you, you, you wash it down with a bit of fluid as well. Um, and then again, sticking to things that, you know, things that work for you. So if you look at it, so we've just talked about calories. We haven't really talked about carbs, but when you kind of, um, what we do with our athletes is the further away from the race or kind of just think about calories. And just say, say, right, just on your long ride, you're just looking to replace calories. So just eat things that you kind of want to eat. So it might be like non-sport specific stuff. So cereal bars, you know, um, malt loaves, chocolate bars, things like that. And then as you get closer to the race, you might start thinking more about sports nutrition and more specific stuff. So over this period, you've built up a good picture of things that you like to eat, things that work for you. So you can start to put this all into your, into your plan. Um, and then you'll know, right, on the day I'm going to be carrying this amount of food and every 20 minutes I'm going to have a bite of this bar. And then if you're doing a really long race as well, um, something I've used in my own racing is like I'll have something different that is kind of uh, at a certain point of the race where I know that I'll be wanting some real food or I'll be a bit sick of sports nutrition. I'll be like, so for me, it was like about 70 miles into an Ironman bike leg. I'd have like a massive slab of flapjack, like a good sort of like 400 calorie slice of flapjack. And that would just be like, it would just reset me a little bit and just put something a bit more real into my stomach. And then I'd be like, okay, I can go back to the sports nutrition now. And my stomach feels, feels a bit happier. And things like that, you just kind of build up with experience really. But yeah, just don't try anything new on race day. 30 to 50% of the calories that you're burning, try and consume on the go uh, and little and often and stay hydrated as well. And what, what are your opinions on um, sports supplementation actually? Because I mean, obviously you've, you've got this huge array of like uh, energy gels online um, that you can get. Now, personally, I, I tend to just stick with jelly babies. Are they, are they a good 
substitute or i mean it, do you do you believe in um sports nutrition is this something that you feel no you should be sticking with the gels because they, they they've got more of what you need or can you just stick to simple sugars a bit of chocolate a bit of flapjack a bit of jelly baby sort of stuff you can yeah it depends on like the intensity of the race and like if you're if it's a shorter race and you're really looking to be at the sharp end of it and it's going to be really high intensity then there's definitely going to be benefits to being more sports specific and looking at your gels and your proper energy drinks. But if it's uh, an ultra marathon and you're going to be out there for a long time, you can be a little bit less specific. You can have some sweets, you can have a bit of uh, sports nutrition, and then you know you might have a bit of cake. Whatever. What, what we've got now as well is um, we're starting to push the boundaries of the amount of carbs that we can get into drinks. Uh, so, you know, typically it was said, right, you know, 60 grams an hour of carbs was, was what we could absorb. We're now seeing that um, with a mixture of the right carbs that people can now uh, absorb, you know, 90, 100, even 120 grams of carbs per hour. And you're getting these new drinks now, which are like really high calorie. Um, so they're something to consider as well. And, and they're quite good for people who either you go at the sharper end of the race, you're working at a higher intensity, so you can't be chewing on food all the time and putting uh, big balls of food into your digestive system. And um, yeah, also good for people with GI issues. So um, if, if you do get a dodgy stomach, then you might be able to, to get more calories in just through liquid uh, mm. and not have to worry about um, it's good, it's quite food might do to you. It's, it's quite mad. It's, that, um, it's through the endurance running and like the ultra running and stuff that I, I really f- understood the importance of appropriate uh, nutrition and supplementation because it's when you're deep, really in deep waters of an endurance run and you haven't fueled properly, that's when I, well, I'd start getting the cravings. If you ever had that, like you can start tasting like strawberry milkshake. It's like your broad body crying yeah. out for it. Um, you, you see it... Uh, um... It ha- you see it at Ironman all the time. So like at an Ironman feed station on the run, they have like uh, nuts and like crackers and things like that. And they're things that you would never eat in your training. Yet all of a sudden, when you're like 10 hours into a race, <laughs> you're in that like last 10K of an Ironman and you are dying. Yeah. All of, a, all of a sudden you want a handful of salty nuts and crackers and you put them in your mouth and it just turns to dust and you're just like, that was a terrible idea. <laughs> you dry mouth, lips stuck to your teeth and stuff, yeah. I can imagine. Like, yeah. 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 It's crazy. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Well, talking of Iron Man, actually. So we've got a question from Jay Riley who's, who says, I've, it sounds to me that he's eyeing up an Iron Man, but he has some reservations. So okay. his question is, how bad can you be and still compete in Iron Man? <laughs> That's Iron Man. <laughs> um, so the the cutoff for most Iron Man courses is seventeen hours. So you got to consider that. Um, <laughs> I guess <laughs> if you can get round in that time, you, if you pick a if you're going to be close to that cutoff, maybe you want to pick a flat course as well. So um maybe a lake swim so you know uh that the conditions will be pretty stable in the water so you don't have to worry about a rough seas or anything a flat bike course maybe with no wind and then um if you build a good 
run walk strategy into your training and you execute that properly on the day then yeah you can you can get round. <laughs> should be all right i suppose that, that's it how bad can you be i, I suppose well it's the cutoff point that that's can you make the cutoff point that's that's how bad you can be i suppose to do it yeah um how fit do you think you have to get to do an ironman is this are you at the pinnacle of your fitness to do this or is it is it an endurance game it's about grit and determination and just being able to be resilient through that whole 15 17 up to 17 hours um yeah i mean you do you you, you do have to be fit um I think in terms of training, uh, we're kind of like most triathlon plans would hinge around two sessions a week of each discipline. So if you were thinking of doing Ironman, consider, can I do two swims, two bike sessions and two runs a week? Um, you can kind of fit that in for starters. And then you'd need to make sure that you grow the duration of one of those bike rides and one of those runs so you can build your endurance. I think that's kind of like the starting point. If you're wondering like, how much do I need to train to do an Ironman? That's the kind of, the, the key sessions of most plans would base around two swims, two bikes and two runs. Mm -hmm. I, th I think the, the biggest thing and the, the thing you need to get first with an Ironman is permission from your wife to d even do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You definitely need to get, get the family on board for sure. Yeah, it's a lot of training. I mean, I've seen people do it before and it consumes their life. And it's it's so, I suppose, in those latter weeks as well, maybe in the month or the two months leading up to the actual event day, you are, it seems like you're out all the time doing something. Yeah, yeah, it can be. I mean, yeah, those last, that last block, that final kind of eight weeks, you need to be, yeah, you need to be doing doing some big miles on the bike. And, yeah. and really building that long run up as well. And then running off the bike as well, getting, getting some running in off your long ride. And uh, how, how do you practice? So like just because if for people that would fancy they go an Ironman, how, where, where do you go to practice swimming? Because everyone knows how to go and do a run. Everyone could know how to go and, and you know, cycle their bike where do you go swimming is this something where you go to a pool or could you go to a lake um how would you, you train for that aspect of it you can do either you definitely do the bulk of your swimming in a pool which has been an absolute nightmare through um covid times because now you know people have to book pool slots certain pools are only doing slots of 45 minutes and yeah it's been it's been tricky uh, so more people have been trying to swim outside but more and more um clubs and places to do open water swimming are popping up so it makes it safer for people to go and do it um so like in cardiff you can do open water swimming at the white water rafting center they they open it up there a couple of times a week for people to do that and there's various clubs that go and meet down in like jackson's bay and other lakes around in the area so a bit of both and what would be if you had one piece of advice for someone who wanted to do an Ironman, what would be the most important thing that they do? Or what would be the best piece of advice you could give? Would it be to join a club and actually do it with people and have people around you? Or? Ooh, that's a tricky <coughs> one. <laughs> Triathlon clubs are, are good for swim sessions. I think um, they, they tend to be good for swim sessions. The tricky thing about joining a club to train for Ironman is 
the mixture of abilities. Everyone's doing things at different paces. And, you know, for those long sessions as well, a lot of people just like to, you know, you've got a long ride on a Saturday and you've got a family. A lot of people just like to get out at daybreak, just get it done and be back for lunchtime and the rest of the time with the family. So it can be quite tricky to pair up with people to do the long training. Um, it's just, yeah, you know, endurance sports can be a lonely endeavour, can't they? Yeah, I bet it's, it's, it's hours and hours on your own with your own thoughts, that's for sure. So I suppose you better like your own company is uh, maybe the best piece of advice. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, we've got a final question from Jay Riley again. He's asked, what's the hardest race or event for a non-athlete with normal fitness levels? So I suppose you, you get these elite races that maybe sort of only the, the elite can enter, I guess, like marathon disables or something like that, where you have to be at a certain level. What, what's, what would you say is the hardest for the everyday athlete? Into triathlon or, or anything? Anything. Ooh. Oh, there's so there's so many events um, now. Uh, I think, wow, I think multi multi day ultras you know, are tough. Um, just just get you know getting up after running you know an ultra marathon and doing it all over again and then maybe all over again, I think is is really really tough. Um, yeah, are there one, any one day events? The, are there any around the the country that spring to mind? Um, yeah, there's a few, I think, um, I don't know the names of it. I think there's one that maybe runs like the seven, the seven river, um, the seven path maybe. Uh, yeah, I'm sure there's plenty. Yeah. I, I'd fancy giving one of those a go myself. I'm yeah. actually teeing, um, I'm trying to tee up a challenge for next year. I'm, I'm in the, uh, the brainstorming session at the moment. And one of the, one of the ideas was sort of like a multi-stage, uh, it's a personal challenge to me, obviously, um, but was a, a multi-day challenge. I can't give it too much away just in case I don't do it. Um, <laughs> and the other one was just an extreme 24-hour challenge. But uh, I think either way, uh, I'll be getting in touch with Mr. Coach Cronk and Enjoy Prep anyway <laughs> to see if yeah. they can help me out. You've also got Reese's events <coughs> in there, you know, his, his new series of 200-mile runs. Oh, of course, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. Anybody can sign up to those. They're, they're going to be brutal. The wild horse events. Well, I've yeah. had to be very, very careful with what I pick to do next year in, in, because obviously I've got a wife, I've got two young kids. I There's only so many, so much time I can spend away with them with, uh, without angering uh, the wife. So I'll probably only be able to do one multi-day event and I'll have to pick it carefully, whether it's a, a wild horse or my own personal thing or something like that. Oh, epic. Yeah, wild yeah. horse would be epic. It would be good, yeah. Um, the future, Mr. Cronk. We've reached the end of the questions. Uh, what, what's the future hold for uh, Coach Cronk and Enduro Prep uh, and your athletes? Well, I think, um, God, look, like the last two years have been kind of been quite tough on my athletes because they've kept training for races that haven't happened. So we've gone through a training cycle, events been postponed, and we've picked another event. And you know, it's been, um, there's kind of been a bit of a, a change from trying to get people just to peak fitness to kind of managing their overall health a bit. Um, it's just kind of, yeah, just looking at the bigger picture and thinking, okay, if you guys want to keep performing and enjoying your sport for, for multiple years, then we just need to, um, 
maybe just back off a little bit and just uh, just have a bit of fun with it for a while. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of been the approach for the last two years. And I think now this year we're going to have so many postponed events rolled over and other events people want to do that it's going to be quite hard to rein people in. I know everyone's going to be like super, super keen to race this year. So we're going to have to like be very careful with how we plan our seasons uh, and just, just make sure we don't overdo it. And then after that, hopefully, you know, hopefully after this summer, we're back to, to business as usual and just, um, just getting everybody working towards, towards their goals and enjoying it um, and, and progressing, whether they want to stick to the same distance and get faster at that distance or whether they've got aspirations to go to longer distances yeah just uh just just the same just get back to business as usual bro and where, where can people find you if they wanted to follow enduro prep on the socials or if they wanted to visit your website and see your offerings where, where can people find you um so website is enduroprep.com and there's information there on our testing and uh, coaching um on socials we're at team enduro prep on instagram um, and that's just a little account, uh, account just showing, uh, showing off our athletes, basically, just reposting things that they do, things they're racing and training and stuff. So, yeah, Tracking. have a little look at that. Bro, well, thank you very much for coming on, Mr. Coach Cronk. I think, Pleasure. I think, it's been great to chat to you. Yeah, Thanks it's been great. Yeah, I think people are going to take a lot of value from that. Um, it's, certain, it's certainly going to help people focus um, their training and give them a bit of uh, direction. And I, I, do you know what the biggest thing? It's a bit of um, meaning and understanding behind the training that they do. I mean, mm. I, I think so many people go, oh, I need to do sprints. Oh, I need to do a long run. But I, I hope that this podcast has explained the science behind why they're doing it. Yeah, good. Yeah, I hope so too. And uh, I think... Um, the key is just to not not overthink it just like just try and be consistent in your training be honest about how much you can train you know if, if you if you've got if you think you've got 12 hours a week to train give yourself eight hours and stick to that and do that consistently because that that will probably get you better results than doing some weeks of 12 some weeks of five some weeks of six so just just find find a routine that's within your capacity that gets you enjoying your training feeling motivated um because then you know that's that's what gets gets the results really i suppose that yeah if, enjoying it plain and simple you've got to enjoy it if, if you're letting yourself down week in week out by not hitting maybe you know the, the amount of hours that you want to do it's just going to demotivate so make it yeah, achievable exactly. we're not uh, we're not professional athletes are we we're just doing it for fun so you know, I think uh, we, we can get a little bit deep into to the data and, and things like that, which is great. It's fun, but you know, just you've got to enjoy it, haven't you? Yeah, you've got to do enjoy it. Are, are you on the Stravas? Can people follow you on Strava as well? Yeah, yeah, you can find me on, on Strava, uh, Lawrence Cronk on Strava. They'll see, see your yeah. times. Awesome. Yeah, I'll be uh, yeah, normally making people jealous with uh, snowy pictures of Slovenia. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, I think if that, that's why probably most people will start following the account. See those awesome views. Yeah, no, they're, no, they're epic. Yeah. Cracking. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Cronk, and we will catch up soon. Pleasure. Cheers, Terry. Take care. Uh